Welcome back, you fellow football fanatics. This is the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred, bringing you the fifth episode of the Pound the Table podcast. I do apologize in advance here. We're bringing it a little bit later than normal this week. Uh, the main reason is life had gotten in the way here and grew my family by one individual with a little girl. So once again, we're bringing you the fifth episode. We still got some great stuff on deck for you guys. We're going to get into this uh, the recent NFL news. We're also going to dive into the top five and the bottom five power rankings will release all 32 on our twitter page later this week and then also the state your case on the julio jones situation as voted on by the viewers so once again jam-packed with some great content here and as always let us know if there's something else that you guys want to hear as viewers otherwise let's jump right into it in recent nfl news we've seen Mainly the Aaron Rodgers saga take another turn where he did not report for uh, voluntary offseason workouts for the Green Bay Packers, as well as some of his receivers like Devontae Adams, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and then also Alan Zard, et cetera, et cetera there. Uh, basically, the voluntary team workouts, the Packers mainly have workout bonuses built in there so that they can get these guys to come work out at their facilities in the offseason because not a lot of guys want to stay in Green Bay. But uh, worthy of note is Rodgers has never missed them before, uh, but particularly he's forfeiting $500,000 to skip them this year. So mainly just something to keep an eye on. But uh, I think it's a non, non-story, non but nonetheless something to bring up since it's a little bit of a dead period here. Uh, next up is going to be the, the big news newsworthy note this year is Julio Jones uh, is was recently on the Undisputed show with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless stating that he will not be returning to Atlanta. And essentially, this comes as a surprise because not a lot of people thought that Julio knew he was on air. But uh, it remains to be seen whether he was or not. And we'll de- we'll dive deeper into the Julio trade details here soon. But um, that's a big note subject that it looks like he will be on his way out the door in Atlanta. And then the last little bit of news I wanted to bring up was going to be the Marquise Lee trade, uh, mainly because we noted last week that he signed with the Niners but was also recently waived as they acquired another wide receiver there. So Marquise Lee is on his way out in San Francisco. So hopefully there's more news uh, next week as we get past this little bit of a dead period in the offseason. But otherwise, we're going to dive right into the State Your Case segment next. Next up is State Your Case. This week, the State Your Case is going to be regarding the Julio Jones situation with Atlanta. It is, if you were the Falcons GM, would you have tried to keep Julio and win now? Or would you trade Julio for picks? And with 56% of the vote, trade Julio for picks is the one that we're going to argue in favor for, which is actually what looks like to, to be the most obvious situation here that's after the news that came down with the Undisputed Show and Shannon Sharp. So essentially, we're going to argue for the Falcons trading Julio Jones and kind of hitting reset or retooling their roster. So if we take a look, the first piece of the puzzle is going to be Julio Jones' contract situation and kind of where the Falcons are at with cap space. So when taking a look at their cap situation, just recently they were right around $600,000 about in cap space, which is very, very small. And... Julio Jones has a dead cap hit if he's moved before June 1st of $40.5 million, which is just an absolute, 
absolutely astronomical number for a wide receiver, let alone any player. And then if we take a look at his contract situation post-June 1st, they can kind of move some of that cap space over an extra year. So the 2021 cap hit would be $7.75 million, and then 15.5 would roll over into 2022. So it's more so about a 23 and a half or 23 and a quarter million dollar cap hit spread out between two years, more so hitting on the 2022 deal. And the savings there is approximately $15 million in dead cap space when they when they would do it post June 1st. So in my opinion, this trade is not happening before June 1st because I don't think a team would ever look to get a $40.5 million cap hit, let alone for a wide receiver. So it, it's more logical this comes by after Memorial Weekend. So if we're taking a look, I think the main question is, is the Atlanta front office has to just kind of take a seat and look at their roster as a whole and say, are, are we logically going to be competing in 2021? And when I look at this team, they're going to be better than last year. But this is not a team that is ready to make a run for the title in 2021. When you look at their defense, their defense in my opinion, is one of the worst in the league. You're coming off of 2020 where they were 19th in scoring defense, which is not terrible. It's, you know, we're close to middle of the pack there, but you're 29th in yards allowed and 32nd in passing yards allowed. You're the worst passing yards allowed defense in the league in 2020. And when you take a look, it's not like they attack that side of the ball to, you know, make a statement on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, their first draft pick was Kyle Pitts, but when you look at the other additions, you're talking Deron Harmon and Fabian Moreau. That's that's two you know journeyman defensive backs, you know middle middle tier kind of guys. And you see rookie uh, Richie Richie Grant who plays safety. Uh, he, he's kind of he can play jack of all trades kind of role. It's box deep you know deep half type of cover guy, single high safety. He he can kind of do it all, but it, it's not necessarily extremely high level where you're thinking that he's going to move the needle for you year one. So when I look at their defense and even pass rush, like uh, they're still bringing back Dante Fowler, who's he's a good piece. He's not like your premier guy, but opposite of him, there's not much. There's not much there. I mean, Barkevius Mingle, you know, career journeyman as well, is is, is possibly a guy that's going to be lined up opposite of him. So I just don't see that the defense is is ready to be you know that team that's going to stand out. Uh, when you when you take a look at their offense, they bring in Mike Davis. He, who is, I mean, he's going to be better than Todd Gurley was last year. It's it's very clear that the wheels are falling off for Todd Gurley. And Matt Ryan will look a ton better under Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith there is the biggest addition over any player that they could have added, just bringing his scheme from Tennessee over. So I expect Matt Ryan to make a jump and kind of return to his normal form. And obviously Kyle Pitts, he's got the once-in-a-generation label, but I think we just, everybody needs to temper expectations there. But... Between Pitts, Ridley, and even Russell Gage looked all right at times last year. And Hayden Hurst is, is a reliable, you know, safety valve target. The offense will be, you know, average to above average type of offense. Just from a roster standpoint, it didn't make sense to try to keep Julio and make a run for it with Arthur Smith in his first year here. So I, I like the move of them trying to move him and try to get something for him now and kind of retool on the fly here and attack this next year because if you finish you know seven and ten or six and eleven 
or eight and nine, I mean, you're looking at a top half of the draft selection. You know, this is going to be a much better defensive class. There's tons of edge rushers and defensive back talent that's going to be able to help kind of supplement your defense in the coming years. So why not get an extra second or fourth or third or something like that along those lines? So it'll be interesting to see. And the next big piece of this puzzle that we're going to take a look at is essentially what are you going to get for Julio at this stage in his career, who's a 32-year-old wide receiver who's been oft injured the last couple years. So when we take a look, you can see a couple of the guys that got traded for first-round picks in the most recent years are Amari Cooper, uh, OBJ, and uh, Stephon Diggs this past year. And and they all netted first-round picks. So I don't think Julio Jones necessarily fits that profile of like a 26, 27, 28-year-old prime receiver who has shown to be a reliable target to get a first-round pick. Uh, when you take a look, I think we're going to see more of a trade like an AB, like Antonio Brown when he went from the Steelers to the Raiders for like a third and a fifth, where then they negotiated an extension once he got there. Or when we talk about DeAndre Hopkins, who was a second and a fourth and a player, and then they negotiated another extension for him when he got there. So I think that's more of a logical fit there where he's going to go for, in my opinion, probably around like a second and a fourth, kind of like DeAndre Hopkins. They might not get a player in return, like the Texans got, it's more so they're just going to get a six, or a second and a fourth and just call it good, and they'll either restructure him when he gets, once he gets there or they're going to just take him as he's going and just ride out that last couple years of his contract since he's a little bit older of a player. Uh, it, it's intriguing to me the, the teams that could possibly fit the mold here, and when I look at it, I think two make a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, if for second and fourth, every single team in the league, don't get me wrong, 31 teams should be interested but the two teams that stick out to me are the Patriots and Tennessee. So New England Patriots obviously have been heavily rumored. I think it makes a lot of sense. You could put them outside. They got Kendrick Bourne there. They brought in uh, Nelson Aguilar. Everybody else on the roster is, isn't quite to that same talent level as Julio. And now uh, when you look at Tennessee, they're, they're kind of bare bones at the wide receiver position after A.J. Brown. You bring in Josh Reynolds, who's kind of the middle-of-the-pack guy, and I'm pretty sure their third receiver right now is slated to be uh, Desmond Fitzpatrick, the the receiver out of excuse me Louisville in the draft this year, who's a fourth round pick. So both great fits in my opinion. You know, you could see 49ers maybe get involved. They don't necessarily have the draft capital after the Trey Lance trade this year to move up and or to make the trade to get Julio. But reuniting him with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is is an intriguing prospect to me. But in my opinion, it makes the most sense. Let's move Julio. Let's get him to a contender. Let's get something for him now. Let's build on this Atlanta rebuild window here. Let's let's restack the cupboard for 2022-2023. I mean, your cap situation already is kind of a living hell as we're looking at it right now. Let's just restack the cupboard. Let's get off this contract, and let's build for the future if you're the Atlanta Falcons and Terry Fontenot. Next up, we're going to be going into our power rankings. Basically, we're going to be ranking all the NFL teams 32 to number one. And on the show here, we're just going to go through our bottom five and our top five. And we're going to start with the bottom five. So rolling right into that, our 32nd ranked team, the team that we're ranking at the bottom of the NFL list, is it's, it's probably no surprise to anybody here, but it's going to be the Houston Texans. Uh, when you just take a look at their offseason as a whole, I just... 
I'm, we, we knew it was going to be bad with the Deshaun Watson situation. I don't want to go into that too deep until it's it's settled legally. But essentially, they just put together an absolutely terrible roster after turning over. I did not like what they did with their head coaching search. They waited to the last minute, tried to appease Deshaun Watson, h- hiring David Culley, the wide receivers coach from the Ravens, uh, passing game coordinator there as well. And Nick Casario isn't a terrible hire. He's part of that uh, New England uh, branch of front office guys. But it just, they turned over their roster completely. And, I mean, who's the best guy that they signed to show for it? Are we are we looking at Mark Ingram, a 30-year-old running back who's at the tail end of his career? Philip Lindsay, I mean, not a terrible signing, but now you have this loaded running back room. You got David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram. You got all these guys, and it's... I just don't get what direction they're heading in here. And then you just look at what they did in the draft. Your first selection is a quarterback. And now at one point they had five guys in that QB room who all took snaps in the last couple of years. I just, I just don't understand what they're trying to do here. I know you're trying to fight for life after Deshaun Watson. And the good thing is they own all their picks moving forward. But, man, I, I know people talked about the Jets and the Jaguars this last year as having one of the worst teams we've ever seen. <laughs> Houston's going to challenge them this year, and I, I I don't see them winning much more than if they win three or four games. That's, that's a positive in my book because I don't think they're going to get that far. So rolling right into number 31, I've spoke actually extremely highly of this team all offseason. I loved what they did. At the same time, I don't think they're going to be good. But the future is bright. So the Detroit Lions coming at number 31. Uh, Dan Campbell's going to come in. He's going to change the culture. They're building their treasure trove of picks for the future here. Uh, they, they take on Jared Goff, low-risk deal. Let him hang around, be the bridge guy for a couple years. Still doesn't change my mind that they're going to be a bad roster this year. I don't see like massive improvements over what they've done for player-wise and roster-wise from what... Uh, Matt, Matt Patricia had put together the last couple of years. So really, I, I still think they're a bottom two roster. The future's bright, though, with all the assets they've they've took on and kind of the guys that they got off from and let the young guys kind of step up. So number 30, we're going to roll right into it. Similar situation, the New York Jets, they took on a ton of capital the last couple of years, and they started to build around their new quarterback and Zach Wilson, kind of hitting the reset button, moving on from Sam Darnold. So another team that the trajectory is pointing upwards, I just don't think it's going to quite be there in 2021. And like I said with uh, the Lions, I like the guy they got at the helm, Robert Sala and uh, Joe Douglas definitely have a clear approach on what they want to do in the future here. It's just a matter of executing and getting their guys in place uh, roster-wise, which it looks like they may have started to get on the right track. So at number 29, we're looking at the Philadelphia Eagles. And I know I did the top five off-seasons, and I had Philadelphia on my list. I love what they did, and it's another team that, like I said, the arrow's pointing upwards for these guys. They added these future assets. They put themselves in a great position to be a team that's really going to be able to turn this thing around in a couple years. It's just a matter of, hey, it's not going to be this year. Like, you know, you don't have the horses in place to make it happen this year, and you know, Jalen Hurts, maybe he might not be the guy. And they're going to give him every chance to find out. You know, if he is the guy, all them first-round picks are going to look really cool next year when you get all the other positions taken care of. If quarterback is set, it's going to be a lot easier to get this thing moving in the right direction. But I just, 
at this moment, I don't think that there's enough around these guys. And anybody that's been following me along the last couple months here knows that I love Devontae Smith, and I love what they're putting together on that offense. The defense worries me a lot. Uh, up front, they might have some dudes, but Philly coming in at number 29, I think they're going to struggle. And then to round out the bottom five here, the last team I'm going to mention is at 28, the Las Vegas Raiders. It might be a little bit of a surprise, but I do not see this team being good. You cannot dismantle the offensive line and try to reassemble it like they did this last year, especially when it was good. It was it was a pretty solid unit, and you just... They, they lose a lot of pieces, and there's, they just don't add a lot. They didn't add a lot of talent to this roster. I mean, you're kind of banking on guys like Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards taking a big step forward in their second year here. And I, from what I've seen last year, I'm just not too confident that Ruggs can be anything more than a burner, and Edwards is still showing those injury flashes that he showed at South Carolina. So it, the offense is just not great. And when you look at their defense, Clellan Fair – or excuse me – Clellan Farrell, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling with this this guy's name, but the edge rusher out of Clemson that they took at number four overall a couple years back, it just hasn't been what they thought he was going to be. He's a, he's a solid run defender, not giving you much in a pass rush. And Sidney Crosby, or excuse me, Sidney Crosby, Max Crosby has been a very pleasant surprise for them, but they, they just don't have that guy opposite of him to, to really be the horse up front, to really – put the pressure on the quarterback opposing quarterbacks opposing signal callers when they come in in the town and <laughs> completely befuddling to me what they did in this draft with their safeties they they took so many of them and then they bring in guys like carl joseph to to man the safety room and you still have jonathan abram there who you spent a first round pick on like if, if you're giving up on the guy get him out of town like after this this is a make or break year for the guy but now we're just like loading the boat so much that you might not even be able to see what you have in this guy. So <laughs> they might actually be even lower on this list by the time we get to December of this next year. So Los Angeles, or excuse me, Las Vegas Raiders coming in at number 28. Next up, we're going to skip through probably the next 27 through number six teams. I will highlight there's one honorable mention I wanted to to, to make note of before I jumped into the top five power ranking teams here was at number six, I actually had the Los Angeles Rams ranked. And the only reason I wanted to make note of it was because of who we have at number five. But number six was the Rams. I love what they did uh, bringing in Matt Stafford, trying to elevate the offense, add a vertical element that they haven't had in the past. Their defense is going to be their defense. Uh, they made a really smooth transi- transition from a uh, excuse me, Wade Phillips and uh, Brandon Staley and uh, moving forward with them guys there at the helm. I, I have complete faith that one of his uh, staff members will be able to step up and take that role on for the next up guy. And obviously they have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. They're going to do their thing. So I have big time faith in the Rams. Uh, we're going to make them an honorable mention here on this on this show. But they, they're number six on our list. We'll make sure we post the full list on Twitter once the pod's released and up to date. But uh, number five on our power rankings, excuse me, power rankings list heading into 2021 is going to be the Green Bay Packers. 
And the main reason I wanted to include the Rams is there's a little bit of an asterisk next to this team, obviously with the Aaron Rodgers situation, because this team is extremely different without him at the helm. Uh, with Rodgers, they're a number five, top five team, Super Bowl contender, NFC four championship type team. Without Rodgers, they are a 500 football team at best. Uh, I love what the possibility of Jordan Love might bring to the table, but this is team's Super Bowl hopes are contingent on Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback in 2021. Now, the reason why they're not higher on the list after making the NFC Championship game is mainly because they did lose more than they brought back. So they bring back Kevin King, they bring back Aaron Jones, but they do lose Corey Lindsley. And Corey Lindsley was in all-pro center last year, so now you're replacing him with either incumbent John uh, John Runyon or a rookie uh, out of Ohio State, Myers, Josh Myers. So that, that's obviously a downgrade there. So that's why I'm dropping them slightly on the list here. But I still like them. They're still a great team in the NFC playoff picture. So if we're going to jump up to next, the number four team is going to be the Buffalo Bills, uh, the team that made the AFC Championship game this past year. So once again, this is going to be a, a pretty common trend here at the top of the list. But they bring back every single starter on offense and defense from the past year, losing only John Brown. And with that being said, they bring back in Emmanuel Sanders to replace him. So I kind of like the fit of Emmanuel Sanders better than John Brown anyway. You get another guy to work underneath with Cole Beasley. And in a sense, you still get that deep threat with Stefan Diggs uh, obviously being an all-around playmaker. And then hopefully Gabriel Davis makes that uh, second-year leap here and can be that field stretcher as well. So they're pretty much bringing back everybody from two units that were very solid and Josh Allen if he can continue the trajectory that he was on last year I mean MVP is definitely not out of the question for the guy here uh, the only thing that scares me is it's it's one year production there may be some regression but I don't think it's enough to take them out of contention so hopefully they can bolster that running attack with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary again and they can get something cooking here and make another run at this but next up on the list is going to be number three, the Cleveland Browns. So the Cleveland Browns have had one of the more impressive off-seasons in the entire NFL this year. And they bring in guys like John Johnson. They bring in rookies like Jeremiah Wusso-Koromoa. They bring in guys like, excuse me, Greg Newsom. All top-end talents. And basically, there's not a lot of holes here left on the roster. And they bring in a linebacker and Anthony Michael, so now it's a crowded linebacker room. It's a, it's a crowded cornerback room, and they got Grant Delpit coming back off an of injury. They have Ronnie Harrison there. They, ha- I mean, they have just guys everywhere. We can go every single level. Jadavian Clowney comes in. They got to pair with Miles Garrett. Uh, it's it's just a very very solid team all the way through. And basically, what they said is, hey, we have all this cap space, and rather than sitting on it and rolling it over year to year. I mean, this team's going to get injuries. What are we going to do? Let's let's get depth at every single position. And OBJ's coming back and looks better than ever off a knee surgery. And you bring back uh, Hollywood Higgins. You bring back all of these dudes. And this team just looks completely primed. It's been quite the turnaround in Cleveland after the, the Freddie Kitchens nightmare and Stefanski coming back and being coach of the year type of guy. So number three, love what they're doing. The only reason they're not higher is because of who we have at one and two on this list here. And number two... We're going with the Kansas City Chiefs. So the team that makes the Super Bowl basically says, all right, our weakest unit was 
offensive line. So what do we do? We get rid of the two older starters we have at tackle. We bring in arguably the best guard in football, Joe Tooney. We, they draft Creed Humphrey, and then they also bring in Orlando Brown Jr., a very capable dude at left tackle. Uh, it'll be remain to see how he does outside of that Baltimore Ravens scheme, but who would you rather have? Would you rather have or- Orlando Brown Jr., or would you rather have a rookie on a, you know, like a prove-it kind of situation here in year one, or, you know, like an Eric Fisher that you don't even know if he's going to be ready at the start of the season, mid-season, you know, it could affect your playoff standings. So I love what they did. It's basically, they said, this unit wasn't good enough. We're going to make it better. And they still got weapons like Tyree Kill, you know, Travis Kelsey. They still have Miko Hardman. They still have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And that defense is still just as good as it was last year. So it's pretty much the same team with an improvement up front, which is exactly what they need. They'll be able to run the ball better. Uh, Edwards-Alaire will build off as year one. So love what they did. Coming in at number two. So the number one team in our power rankings, shocker to nobody, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, like I said in my piece, I, I love what they did. I mean, it's hard not to love what they did. They're a Super Bowl team. They were, you know, won it all with TB12 and it's year one at the helm. And you hear all these stories about how the guy, he didn't even know the entire playbook. Like he's he's going off of what he's got on his wrist. He's not he's not trusting his timing on his routes. He's not throwing with anticipation. He's, he's kind of just doing it as they want him to do it. And it's, it's kind of scary to believe he could be even better, even at his age. So I love that. And then you look at just on paper, they bring back every single starter and every single guy that was a significant contributor. So you look at that and you just say, well, they're obviously favorites there. So then you take a look at the roster and a lot of these drafts had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going running back in round one to kind of get more of a passing game threat. So instead of doing that and wasting a first round pick on a running back, I should, I should I, wasting in quotations there. They go inside Gio Bernard, who has taken the lion's share of targets out of the backfield for Cincinnati Bengals the last couple years and brings a dimension to the offense that Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette didn't have. So, I mean, that's another, you know, weapon. And we know Brady loves his dump downs that are running backs, you know, with James White back in his New England Patriots days. So it's, I love what they did here. They go in the first round to get Joe Tryon and I might be the biggest Joe Tryon fan from this past year's draft. I had him as top one of the top edge prospects here so I mean he's a great developmental guy he's gonna learn a ton behind Jason Pierre-Paul get him in a wide nine let him work besides some of them dogs inside you know you can knock a Pierre-Paul or uh, we don't want to knock Shaq Barrett inside but knock Pierre-Paul into like a three or five tech and let him go wide nine and just let him get after them tackles on the outside he does great with speed so love what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did they're coming in at number one going to be tough to beat them this year especially if they're more complete all around and stay healthy so that's going to be for our uh, top power rankings uh, make sure to check out numbers 6 through 27 we'll have it posted on our twitter account here let us know your thoughts uh, as always we love to hear from you guys so that's going to be it for the power rankings that's going to be it for this week's episode hopefully you guys all enjoyed the content we threw out there for you guys as always feel free to tweet at us on twitter uh, or reach out to us via instagram dm or anything like that uh, with any recommendations or anything that you guys want to hear on the show uh, we always appreciate those things so once again uh, we're going to tie up the show here by doing our trivia giveaway 
So we're going to extend it a week just because I'm a little late to the show here this week. So we'll extend it an extra week. We'll pick the winner next Sunday. Remember, all you have to do is follow our page on Twitter, DM us your answer, and retweet the PIN podcast on our homepage. So the trivia question is, who is the all-time leading passing yards leader in Clemson football history? So once again, follow our page on Twitter, DM us your answer, retweet the podcast on the page, and we'll pick a winner next Sunday. So appreciate everybody uh, stopping by, and make sure you hit subscribe, reach out to us on Twitter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks.